0: This morning, the Mount of Transfiguration. For a moment this morning, I want you to think and consider some key moments in the life of our Lord. Think about some events that you remember in the life of Jesus. And make a list in your mind of those that you would consider those key moments. As I was thinking and preparing this lesson, uh, baptism, his baptism would have been a key, essential moment in the life of Christ. Not only that, but some of the miracles and the things uh, on the, the Sea of Galilee, maybe uh, was a key event of stilling the storm Galilee. Maybe the Sermon on the Mount was a key event and time during our Lord's. Most certainly, I would want to put on that list the 40 days and nights that he spent in the wilderness Being tempted and we all may have different ones but all of these were those key moments or crucial moments in Christ's life and i often or i feel today that we would need to include the transfiguration if you've ever studied this in times past you find that it was a most intriguing moment It was a crucial moment that some things were laid out and understood later on in Matthew 17 by the apostles. But it was a crucial moment in the life of Jesus. And I hope you still have your Bibles there at Matthew 17 and 1 through 8. We'll be referring there as we go through this lesson. And this was an occasion when our Lord was confirmed to be the Messiah and a chief spokesman of his father, God. And this morning I want you to consider these moments and this special moment as we uh, study this together and I want you to travel with me this morning up that mountain and consider what the Bible has revealed about this glorious event. And one may ask the question, what does the Bible reveal? What does the Bible tell us about this great event in our Lord's life? First, it tells us in Matthew 17 and one, it says that it happened on a high mountain. And let me suggest to you this morning or tell you this morning that it wasn't some imaginary place like Never Never Land or some of these mountains that we see in the Lord of Rings or whatever the case may be. It happened right here on planet Earth. It's not something that's imaginary as we often see in in our movies and things that we watch A real place, a real event is what the Bible reveals. Now, we don't know precisely this morning which mountain, but many scholars have believed, and as I've read and studied, that they may have occurred on Mount Hermon. And this mountain is, is some over 9,000 feet tall. And it's in the northern part of Israel. And most certainly a place that these events could have took place. Pri- many private places and a place for solitude. But nevertheless, of where it happened, there's other key things about this event. Secondly, he took some friends with him, didn't he? He took Peter, James, and John with with him as he made this journey up the mountain. And if you remember, these three, Peter, James, and John, they were in that inner circle, if you remember. They were at Gethsemane, if you remember. When you go to the book of Mark and in chapter 5, and verse 37, it speaks of this. And in verse 37, it says to us, And he suffered no man to follow him save Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James. Now, this was an event of where he healed the ruler's daughter, the daughter of Jairus, if you remember. But they were always there with him. They were that closest to Jesus. In Matthew 26 and 37, he spends time in prayer. While the apostles, if you remember, took a nap. And they were in that inner circle. So he took some friends with him. In the book of Luke, and in chapter 9, In verses 28 through 32, it says that it came to pass about an, about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistening. And behold, there talked with them two men, which were Moses and Elias, or Elijah, now Luke's account most certainly is referring to this back, this recording back in the book of Matthew. And they were blessed to be with Jesus during this time. What a blessing to be in the presence of our Lord when he was transfigured. You know, they were in that inner circle. They were special, if you will, in one sense, to have experienced that. But not only do we see that he went on to a high mountain and that he took some friends with him to to verify, if you will, confirm, and we're going to talk about that later on, but he was transfigured. He was transfigured before them. Now, when you go back to the, the book of Matthew 17, in chapter 17 and verse 2, says that he was transfigured before them and his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light. And let's talk about that just for a minute. This word transfigured comes from the Greek word "metamorpho." And it is used in several different occasions uh, in Matthew and Mark's account of the transfiguration. It's only used, this word specifically in this way, it's only used four times in the Bible. And meaning the word that we know today as metamorphosis, a change from within Matthew's account and Mark's account, Paul uses it as well in Second Corinthians 3 and in verse 18. And when you look at that scripture, uh, we see him using it in that way where it says, But we with all open uh, face behold as in a glass... The glory of the Lord are changed or transformed in the same image from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, Paul's writing and using that same thought, that metamufo, as transferred, if you will, or transformed, as to say changed within. Now, when you go to the book of Romans in chapter 12 and verse 2, notice what it says. And you know the scripture well, because Paul's writing there, and he's telling us to not be conformed, if you will, to this old world. And you take and you, you see that uh, he says, be not, uh, 12 and verse 2, he says, be not conformed or fashioned to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, he's telling us, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. That same process, if you will, that our Lord went through in in describing this word from within. Not a change from without, but a change from within. And we're going to understand that the light that we're talking about here in this transfiguration was not a light that was shining on him but the glory of the light of our savior that was within inside him was shown and transfigured before these men. Now again, when you study that word, it's only used 4 times in the Bible. The words for one to experience, again, defining this word, is an inward change that manifests itself outwardly. And we understand that. We as teachers especially understand that when we think about what? The butterfly, right? It goes into that cocoon and when it comes out of that cocoon, it changes the whole form, doesn't it? And becomes a beautiful butterfly. And by experiencing metamorphosis, the glory of our Lord, the glory of Jesus from within is shown to the apostles. Now, let's look at that just for a moment. When you go to the book of John, and you look at John chapter 1 and verse 14, notice what John writes about this. He says, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the one begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now you look. He says, the word was made flesh, and we beheld his glory. That glory of that light shining uh, of, of our Lord. He was there that day, and he saw the glory of Jesus. Peter writes concerning this in the, in the book of Second Peter. and in chapter one, Peter writes these, these words to us. Again in Second Peter, chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. It says, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were what? Eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard. When we were with him in what? The Holy Mount. Peter writes about that. One commentator puts it this way. The light was not shining on Jesus, but shining out. His glory was coming from within. Peter writes, he says, we were eyewitnesses. I saw the true nature of Jesus in this moment in time. And that group saw the the radiance and the true glory of Jesus radiating and shining forth through the glory of his deity. When you go to the book of, of Hebrews, the Hebrew writer writes this to us in the book of Hebrews in chapter 1 in verse 3. Notice what it says concerning this event. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person or substance and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. The brightness of his glory. Talks about that radiance there, the Hebrew writer does. So this morning we've seen that it happened on a high mountain. We don't know for sure exactly which one. We know that he took some friends with him, Peter, James, and John, that inner circle that had been with him with a lot of special events before, anyway. And we've looked at the word of Metamufo and and translating over to Metamorphosis as we know it today, and described the change that these men saw, and that's recorded for us to read today. But what else did they see while they were there? they also saw some other people, didn't they? Moses and Elijah appeared. You look there back in Matthew 17. And in verse number 3. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, or Elijah, Talking with him. What an event! What an event! What were they talking about? They were talking with the Lord about his death. It was talking about his death on the cross in Jerusalem. In the book of Luke, in chapter 9, Luke records these words for us to read. On what were they talking about? In chapter 9 of Luke, uh, chapter 9 of Luke, verse 31, Luke records this. If you go back up, and behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, or Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his, what, decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. So what was the conversation about it? A specific conversation. They were talking about his exodus, his exit, his departure, if you will and how he was going to fulfill God's scheme of redemption. Now, the question may be asked, how did they know this was Moses and Elijah? At that time, we don't know. But we do know that both of these men were tied to the work of the Messiah. And you say, well, well, what does that got to do with it? Well, when you have your Bibles open, you go back to the book of uh, Deuteronomy. And when you go to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 18, we're going to read about that. In the book of Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15. Now notice what Moses says. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet. From the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. What is that last part? Unto him ye shall hearken or Hear. You see, Moses and Elijah was tied to the work of the Messiah. You know, they were seeing these two. Why? Why these two? We've got many characters in the Old Testament that could appeared at this time. You know, you think about Ezekiel or, or David or Daniel or, or any, any other Old uh, Testament character. Why these two? Again, because they were tied to the work of the Messiah. Moses spoke of that one that would be raised up. They foreshadowed and both would confirm who the Lord is. Now in the book of Matthew in chapter 17, you go back a chapter into verse uh, chapter 16, you see that conversation between our Lord and the disciples where it says, who do you say I am? And they tell him, don't you? Peter's great confession. So now we have Moses in Deuteronomy that's saying saying those things about the one who will be raised up. And you need to hear him. And, and we're going to read that just in a moment. Uh, those words, same words being... Uh, verbatim pretty much, uh, when God speaks. But now I want you to look at the close of the Old Testament. The very last book of the Old Testament. In the book of Malachi in chapter 4, in verses 5 and 6. The Old Testament closes with these words. Now notice it. In chapter 4, in verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you, Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now, as those words are spoken, there's going to be some 400 years of Silence. When you turn into the Old Testament, it opens up, doesn't it? It opens up with the coming of that Elijah. If you remember, what was his name? John the Baptist, wasn't it? Now you look. At Mark chapter one and verse four. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. You go back in the verse two as it's written, the prophets of Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before me, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. As I said just a moment ago, Moses in Deuteronomy 18 is talking about the Messiah, the chief spokesman of God. And Malachi says uh, 400 years earlier or more, he says, I'll restore uh, the first of the work of God. And, and he closes with that prophecy. Now, I know you still have your Bibles marked in Matthew 17. Go back there. We're fixing to to tie all this together. In Matthew 17, in verses 9 through 13, they're about to exit the mountain. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead and his disciples asked him saying why then say the scribes that Elias or Elijah must first come and Jesus answered and said unto them Elias truly shall come first come and restore all things but I say unto you that Elias has come already and they knew him not but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Now watch it. Then the disciples, what? Understood that he spake unto them of who? John the Baptist. They got it. They understood why Elijah was there. Because he was connected to John the Baptist, that scheme of redemption that God had created even before time in his own way and mind. He said, well, what about John? Well, he was bold like Elijah. He had a lot of characteristics of Elijah in the wilderness and he was bold. He had the fervor in restoring the people and did great works preparing the way for the Lord. You notice here, they didn't... Who they not ask about? It? And that's about Moses. Did they, they understood. They knew. Now, in the rest of that, back in the first part of chapter 17, they've seen this appeared unto them. Now, old Peter, like a lot of the rest of us, we say sometimes things without thinking, don't we? Without really thinking, well, is that the right thing to say right now? Old Peter said, Jesus, Lord, is it good? It is good for us to be here, if thou wilt. Let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. He says something very foolish here, doesn't he? It's a mistake. He said, well, why is that? Because he puts Elijah and Moses where? On the same level as Christ. And immediately notice in verse 5. While he yet spake. While he was still saying this. Behold a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold a voice out of the cloud which said. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What? Hear ye him. God shut it down, didn't he? God the Father spoke. You think about this great event. Now, our Lord, our God, didn't speak very much like that throughout Scripture. I remember back in Matthew 3 and 17, he spoke at our Lord's baptism, and he said, this is my son who I am well pleased Now, he didn't say hear them. That was coming later to this point. His words were similar to what he heard on that day. And at this point, they confirmed Jesus, fulfilled the prophecy of Moses out of Deuteronomy 18 and 15 that we read just a moment ago. Notice they didn't ask about Moses because God made it clear. And as we close, let me ask this question. This morning, this very day, what do we need to see on the mountain? You took this journey with me this morning. I would all, I'd like to offer you just three things quickly. We need to see the glory of Jesus. Jesus. While we have not and have not, will not see Jesus transfigured on the mountain, you and I this morning can see his glory through his word. Everything the Bible reveals about Jesus radiates his glory. You see, people 2,000 years ago were seeing the deity of God through his son. We see it through his word. Secondly, we need to see Jesus, the Messiah. The transfiguration confirmed that Jesus is the only Messiah. Hear ye him. Don't listen to anybody else. That's still true today. Don't listen to some man or some book other than the Bible. We may not have been... The Messiah that many of the Jews wanted, but he's the one whom God the Father appointed to accomplish his will. You see, back 2,000 years ago, he wasn't the Messiah the Pharisees wanted, the Sadducees wanted. Even today, a Messiah, a lot of what Jesus is to people today, even in today's world, is like a genie in the bottle. They want to bring him out, they want to rub it, they want to bring him out when times are hard, they want to bring him out when I need you, but all the other times I want to keep you in a box or I'm going to keep you in the bottle. A lot of people today want a Messiah and a Jesus as one to, to make them rich and to take all their problems away. To make them wealthy. Let me tell you, Jesus is not a wealth and health messiah. He came for us to have spiritual life, eternal life through him, eternally. You see, we need to listen to him. We don't need to listen to the government. We don't need to listen to the latest author who has the book figured out on how I'm going to deal with this depression and this problem in my life we got the best author there ever was. We don't need to listen to Oprah or Dr. Phil or any television evangelist. We need to listen to Jesus Christ and exactly what he says and do his will. That's what we're commanded to do. And thirdly, we need to see the value in listening to his words. God wants us to listen to his son above. One last verse. You've got your Bibles, John 12 and verse 48. He says, listen to Jesus. Now most of us have grown up, and if it's written in red, who said it? Jesus. Now these words we're about to read are written in red. Let's go back to verse 47 in John 12. If any man hear my words and believe not, or keep them not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Now listen to verse 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. You know what that last day is? when we meet God in judgment. What we read in this Bible, young people and old people alike, what we read and study, and when it says that you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins, Jesus said it. When it says that you're to live faithfully, Jesus said it. The word of God says it. Hear ye him? All of these things about worship, of how we worship, when we worship, what day. Jesus said it. God said it. He says, all of those things, all those parameters that we often look at as rules, that says you do this this way, or you can't do this. God said it. Jesus said it. And he says in John 12:48, He that rejecteth those hath one that will judgeth him. But those things I have spoken, the same shall judge him in that last day. What's in this Bible is where we're going to stand on Judgment Day. And if we have not met the requirements that are in this Bible, what Jesus has said, we will be lost and damned to eternal hell. It's that simple. Hear ye him. This morning I ask you, are you following the one and only Messiah? Messiah? Have you been changed from within? If you have not been baptized and come into contact with the blood of Christ, you have not been changed. If you've not made that commitment to him to live faithfully to him and have kept that commitment, you haven't been changed. You went back to the world. You haven't been transformed, as Paul wrote. You've conformed to the world. And we have to be changed so the world can see our glory and the glory of Christ through us. This morning, wherever your need may be, please come. Together we stand as we